Hey, this is Joseph Thompson. Thanks for listening to the Open Spaces podcast. Why don't you sit back, relax, and join me as we take a journey together into wide open spaces. So in keeping with um, the promised theme for this season's episodes, I'm talking about another issue today that's uh, pretty taboo, sort of off limits for the Christ follower, because uh, we sort of like to package our stories in neat little boxes tied up with pretty little bows. And so there's some dark clouds that we pretend aren't there. And so let me start by saying that uh, a really good friend of mine suddenly lost his brother to COVID-19 a short while ago. Now, prior to his brother's death, he had also lost his sister to COVID-19. And his brother, prior to his death, had just recently lost his daughter. So all of these deaths happened within a span of three months. Uh, Last week, I was on a text stream with... um, Actually, this week, I was on a text stream with a few pastor friends of mine. um, And one of them asked for prayer for a member of his congregation. And he explained that she had lost her mom less than two years ago. And that recently, she had had her first child hospitalized. And as we speak, that child is still in hospital, barring a supernatural miracle of God, um, because this child was born prematurely. And as if that isn't enough to be dealing with, she called him moments before he reached out to us on the text stream to let us know or she called him to let him know that her father had died during dialysis. In case you didn't follow that, she lost her mom less than two years ago. Her first child is still hospitalized because he was born prematurely and has major complications. And her father died just a few moments before the phone call or or the text stream between this pastor and myself and a few other pastors. So the question I would ask is, what do you say to people who are walking through so much pain and loss? What are the perfect verses from the scriptures that demonstrate the right amount of sympathy or empathy? By the way, I should tell you, don't answer that question. It's a trick question. You see, because the truth is that empty platitudes don't serve any useful purpose whatsoever at times like these. Now, don't mistake me to be saying that the scriptures have no value at times like these. What I am saying is that spouting the scriptures to people who already believe the scriptures when they're going through their worst day is simply empty platitudes. They know the scriptures because on their hardest days, people need to be able to lament without feeling like they're missing God or that they are weak and feeble Christ followers because they are hurting desperately. But don't take my word for it. What do I know? Let's look at the words of the psalmist, David, who, according to the scriptures, was known as a man after God's heart. In Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2, here's what David says. My God, my God, 
Why have you abandoned me? Interestingly enough, the words that Jesus himself quotes on the cross. Generations later. Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. These words, if you listen to them with any depth of clarity, are so clearly riddled with emotion and pain, racked with pain. Listen carefully to the words that he chooses. Abandoned. Why have you abandoned me? Abandoned. To abandon is to desert or cast off. And then he says, you, why are you so far away when I groan for help? The word groan means to make a deep, inarticulate sound in response to pain or despair. In other words, you get to the place where words, you, you can not utter any words, you have no words, and you simply make a deep, inarticulate sound in response to your pain and despair. These are the words that the psalmist David, a man after God's heart, chooses to use as he reaches out to God in his pain and despair. I get it, though. If the psalmist had stopped there, then we might all have questions as to his convictions and faith. But he doesn't read his next words. Yet, this is Psalm 21 verse 3, the verse immediately following his lament. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. What am I saying to you? Note that he did not write these verses in the moment he was experiencing his pain and despair. So to presume that he simply says the words of pain and despair and then lament and then suddenly writes these words of inspired recognition of God's power is probably not the wisest assumption. There is a season, a moment of time that lapses between his lament and his sudden surge of recognition that nonetheless you are holy. You see, what I'm saying to you, my friends, is that you should have permission to live the most difficult days of your life in the safety of your relationships without having to put on a false exterior. This is what a Christ-following community can be when things are working as they should be, a safe place. And that Christ-following community doesn't only have to be a church. It can be a small group. It can be a house group. It can be anywhere where two or three are gathered in his name. That is a Christ-following community, and that is a safe, it should always be a safe space to lament when we are walking truly according to the dictates of the scriptures. You see, because a true Christ-following community must be a community that grants permission to feel the loss, permission to grieve, permission to be where we are, and permission to tap into the pathos of the God who feels. Uh, in case you're wondering, pathos is passion. To tap into the passion of the God who feels. The easiest verse in the Bible to memorize is actually the shortest one in the entire book. It's made up of only two words. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. 
It's found in the story of the tragic death of Jesus' close friend, Lazarus. Jesus arrives four days after he'd received the news of Lazarus' illness, I might add, and was standing on the outskirts of the village with Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. They were waiting and they, 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 they were wailing and reeling and feeling caught up in the maelstrom of human emotions. Heck, from what we read, Jesus doesn't even try to cheer them up in the moment. Instead, he felt their sadness and he wept. And then he pointed them to God. But in case you're not familiar with the story, let's read just a few verses of the story and let's break them down bit by bit. Beginning in verse 4 of John chapter 11, the Bible says, but when Jesus heard about it, this is Lazarus's death, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So, although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, listen, friends, I can't speak with any level of certainty since I wasn't there myself, but I would speculate that some of the disciples must have quietly, maybe even vocally, questioned Jesus' judgment as the days passed. First, he says Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. As you know, a messenger came to them before they got to the village of Bethany where Lazarus lived and had died to inform them not to worry anymore because Lazarus was dead. Okay, so if you are being honest and if you are like me or like anyone else, and I'm sure his disciples were, you would have begun to question Jesus in the back of your mind. Hang on, I thought you said Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. Well, he's dead. And yet you stayed two days after you heard the news. So that by the time we're getting to the village, he's been dead four days. Now, whatever the disciples may have thought, whether they questioned Jesus' decision or not, we know for a fact that both Mary and Martha did. Now, you might say, well, how do I know that? I'm glad you asked. Let's read a few more verses from the story. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, which is where Jesus was when he got the news. And many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, please understand that my focus here isn't the fact that Jesus ultimately raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, spoiler alert, by the way, for those of you who didn't already know that. Seriously, though, my focus is on the fact that, sadly, more often than not, Christ followers don't always feel that they've been given that permission to lament. The same permission that Jesus afforded Mary and Martha. The permission that I'm reminding you that Jesus has given to you and I. Think about this. Mary stayed in the house. She did not come out to meet him. You think that's just because uh, she was a little tired or she was just putting her feet up waiting till he got to the house? No, I would speculate strongly that it's because she was so hurt and upset 
she wasn't ready to face him. She must have questioned and wondered, why on earth, from down the road, you could have been here the same day, you would have prevented him from dying. But you didn't come. And Martha, the more vocal of the two, she went out to meet him. And while we read the words, there is no voice inflection in the words, so we have no way of knowing the tone or tenor in which she said it. Here's what we know she said. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sounds sort of accusatory to me. The reason he dies is because you didn't come when we called for you. That's what it's, she's basically saying. So let's be clear. They had reason to lament. And Jesus didn't even stop them. But let's start at the beginning. <laughs> what is a lament? Lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Let me say it again. A passionate expression of grief or sorrow. In other words, a lament is simply an invitation to tell the truth. Wow. Who knew? All it takes is opening up the Old Testament to see that the people of Israel were not afraid to share their feelings with their God, Jehovah. The book of Psalms introduces us to an official and very unique literary genre called the laments. In fact, almost two-thirds of the Psalms are classified as one form of lament or another. These people were not afraid to name their difficult realities, and they were definitely not afraid to shoot straight with God and say the hard things to him. Let's check out just a few. Psalm 142, verses 1 and 2. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. Psalm 13, verses 1 to 3. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. These words are pulsing with fury and exasperation, and they're enough to make the average Christ follower cringe. We know what proper decorum looks like. Certainly when it comes to being in the presence of presidents and prime ministers, talk less of the king of kings. And we would never consider using such strong words to question the judgment of presidents and prime ministers. Talk less of the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth. But here it is in the Bible. Here it is given to us by the ones fastened in the yoke with God. Lament is the act of speaking up, of maintaining a voice, of taking up our side in the divine human covenant interaction. Indeed, it cannot rightly be called a covenant. If the stronger party, God, in case you're wondering, doesn't allow space for the weaker party, us, to speak up. That sort of arrangement would simply be called tyranny. But because God is a covenanting God, we see him giving us, us, the weaker party, space to voice our concerns and complaints, space to lament. And Jesus himself is the icon of what faithfulness before the Father looks like. And when we turn to the end of the Gospels, we read about his travail in the Garden of Gethsemane, he takes the disciples with him to pray. And in a moment of great honesty, he tells them, and listen to these words, 
My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Matthew's account, this is Matthew 26, by the way, verse 38, and his account goes on in verse 39. And he went a little beyond them in the garden. This was a reference to Jesus and the disciples. And fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will, lament the expression of pain. In Luke's account, Luke, who is a physician, he gives us an even clearer glimpse of Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane through the lens of a physician. Here's what he says, and being in anguish, this is Luke 22 and verse 44, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I don't have time to dissect the idea of blood, but we do know that medically this is a condition that happens under tremendous stress and agony and anguish. Think about that word, and being in anguish. Anguish means severe mental or physical pain and suffering. Think about that. As Jesus is being suffocated to death in front of the gawking crowd, he prays a prayer that is taken directly, I said this earlier on from Psalm 22 verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, Walter Brueggemann suggests that Psalm 22 is actually about the desperate, and I quote, the desperate attempt to sustain praise when one's world is falling apart, close quote. Praise? Sustain praise when your world is falling apart? How is a prayer like that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How is a prayer like that considered praise, you might ask? I know I did. But it's considered praise because... In the very worst moment of his life, Jesus didn't address the Roman authorities or the Jewish leaders or Judas who sold him for 30 pieces of silver or even his closest friends. Jesus addresses his father. He lifts his voice to heaven, knowing that heaven is his only source of help. Psalm 12, uh, I, I beg your pardon, Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2 says it like this. I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from mountains? No. My strength comes from God who makes heaven and earth and mountains. So as we pay attention to Jesus' words on the cross, we discover that God wants truthful communication from us, not some watered-down, reserved, dispassionate speech in sterilized language. Jesus, the Word of God, capital, capital W, wants our words to bleed, to have a pulse, to be alive. Prayers of lamentation are ancient Israel's tools of choice for keeping the divine human dialogue alive and vibrant. Lamentations. So I'm going to end today's podcast with one of Israel's lamentations because I think it's so profound. So just listen to these words as I read them. Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. She who was once great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. Once the queen of all the earth, she's now a slave. She sobs through the night. Tears stream down her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one left to comfort her. 
All her friends have betrayed her and become enemies. Judah has been led away into captivity, oppressed with cruel slavery. She lives among foreign nations and has no place of rest. Her enemies have chased her down and she has, she has nowhere to turn. The roads to Jerusalem are in mourning, for crowds no longer come to celebrate the festivals. The city gates are silent, her priests groan, her young women are crying. How bitter is her fate! Her oppressors have become her masters, and her enemies prosper, for the Lord has punished Jerusalem for her many sins. Her children have been captured and taken away to distant lands. All the majesty of beautiful Jerusalem has been stripped away. Her princes are like starving deer searching for pasture. They are too weak to run from the pursuing enemy. In the midst of her sadness and wandering, Jerusalem remembers her ancient splendor, but now she has fallen to her enemy and there is no one to help her. Her enemy her down and laughed as she fell. Jerusalem has sinned greatly, so she's been tossed away like a filthy rag. All who once honored her now despise her, for they have seen her stripped naked and humiliated. All she can do is groan and hide her face. She defiled herself with immorality and gave no thought to her future. Now she lies in the gutter with no one to lift her out. Lord, see my misery, she cries. The enemy has triumphed. The enemy has plundered her completely, taking every precious thing she owns. She's seen foreigners violate her sacred temple, the place the Lord had forbidden them to enter. Her people groan, there's that word again, as they search for bread. They have sold their treasures for food to stay alive. Oh Lord, look, she mourns, and see how I am despised. Does it mean nothing to you? All you who pass by, look around and see if there's any suffering like mine, which the Lord brought on me when he erupted in fierce anger. He has sent fire from heaven that burns in my bones. He has placed a trap in my path and turned me back. He has left me devastated, racked with sickness all day long. He wove my sins into ropes to hitch me to a yoke of captivity, the Lord snapped my strength and turned me over to my enemies. I am helpless in their hands. The Lord has treated my mighty men with contempt. At his command, a great army has come to crush my young warriors. The Lord has trampled his beloved city like grapes are trampled in a winepress. For all these things I weep. Tears flow down my cheeks. No one is here to comfort me. Any who might encourage me are far away. My children have no future, for the enemy has conquered us. Jerusalem reaches out for help, but no one comforts her. Regarding his people, Israel, the Lord has said, Let their neighbor be their enemies. Let them be thrown away like a filthy rag. The Lord is right, Jerusalem says, for I rebelled against him. Listen, people everywhere, look upon my anguish and despair, for my sons and daughters have been taken captive to distant lands. I begged my allies for help, but they betrayed me. My priests and leaders starved to death in the city, even as they searched for food to save their lives. Lord, see my anguish, 
My heart is broken and my soul despairs, for I have rebelled against you. In the streets the swords kill, and at home there is only death. Others heard my groans, but no one turned to comfort me. When my enemies heard about my troubles, they were happy to see what you had done. Oh, bring the day you promised when they will suffer as I have suffered. Look at all their evil deeds, Lord. Punish them as you have punished me for all my sins. My groans are many, and I am sick at heart. Lamentations 1, verses 1 through 22. And this decimation of Jerusalem and the scattering of her people remained until Israel became a nation in 1948. Indeed, friends, lament is a part of the heritage of the Christ follower. See you next week. Thanks for joining us on the Open Spaces podcast. If you enjoyed it, then please like it and share it with your friends. We'd really love to connect with you. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Open Spaces Podcast.